0: Together, And so I did that, and so if you remember last Sunday night, we talked about out of the book of Jude, and that's where we're going tonight, so if you'd turn to the book of Jude with me. But if you remember from last Sunday night, we talked about the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you remember, we talked about the fact that, uh, you know, it's by His mercy, and if you stop and remember what mercy is, mercy is the withholding of something that we deserve, and we talked about the fact that you know we're all sinners, we were born sinners, and we deserve to die. And if you remember, death is that separation, right? Death is that separation, uh, physical death is the separation of our soul from our body. Spiritual death is the separation of our soul, or our, our being, our spirit, from God for eternity. That's what spiritual death is. And that's the death that we deserve uh, as sinners, we're Deserve to be separated from God. But because of God's mercy towards us, He sent His Son to die on the cross for us. And we can have uh, salvation through Him. We can have eternal life because of the mercy, because we deserve uh, hell. But that's not what God's got planned for us if we're saved. And so that mercy is that withholding of what we deserve. And, of course, we have to talk about grace because grace is the bestowing upon that of which we don't deserve. So the things that we don't deserve, God gives to us anyhow, and that's His grace. He shows us His love. He gives us a place in heaven. And so many things He gives to us that we don't deserve as the grace that He bestows upon us. But that mercy of, that He bestowed on us that are saved, that mercy of that withholding of what we deserve but yet there's also the mercy that he bestows, and we talked about the fact that, you know, if we stop and think about, you know, we as, as Christians, we so look forward to his return. We look forward to that day that he comes back, but when you stop and think about it, what happens when he returns? The church leaves the world. The light leaves the world. That lighthouse is gone. As dark as this world is now, there is still the church. There's still a light here, and when When Jesus comes back and raptures the church, the light is gone. And you stop and think about the fact that, you know, the Bible teaches that during that time that, you know, those that have already had the opportunity to to be saved, those that had the opportunity to near the truth, they're going to believe the lie of the devil, the Bible says. And so when you stop and think about it, it's basically at that point in time, God says, okay, my mercy on the earth is done. I'm moving the church out. And I'm no longer going to show my mercy upon those that are, that are left behind. And you stop and think about those that are around, you know, those that are unsaved, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, the stranger on the street that you walk by, if you stop and think about it, it's God's mercy that they're still alive, that they have another day to hear about Christ, that they have another day to accept Him as a Savior. It's God withholding the punishment that they deserve, and that's what we talked about last Sunday. Well, we're going to continue on in Jude, and we're going to look at the next portion of it. And I want to, if you're able and willing to stand, we're going to read out of the book of Jude. And we're going to start in the 17th verse, and I want to read through the end of the chapter, and then we're going to back up and we're going to focus on verse 21 tonight. We're going to look at a little bit of the end of 20 to see that, that uh, uh, mercy of our Lord, and, and we're going to look at a little bit of 22 and 23, just to get the context of where we're going tonight. And I'll, I'll tell you, if you were ready for a hell fire and brimstone sermon tonight, that's not tonight. That's next week. So if you want that, come back next week. We got, we got uh, Halloween on, on the Tuesday. And we'll preach hell and fire to them on on Wednesday. So come back next week if that's what you want. All right, here we go. Jude chapter, oh yeah, only one chapter, the book of Jude. Verse 17, it says, and I want you to notice, um, Jude, as he's writing, he's writing to the Christians, he's writing to the church, and he says, verse 17, says, But beloved, remember the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ. He's saying, hey, remember the apostles, remember what they told us? He says, how they told you that there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own godly lusts. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. So he's saying, hey, remember the apostles said in the last time there's going to be these, these people that pull away from the church, they're going to be uh, sensual, they're, gonna, they're not have the Spirit, they're going to do their own thing, they're going to you know, walk in their own way. But then he gives a a, a reminder. He says, verse 20, But ye beloved, you beloved, you saved, you Christians, build up yourself on the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. So there's where we pulled out from last week, looking for that mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. We talk about the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then they go on to say, And of some have compassion making a difference, and others save with fear. And we're going to come back to those two verses because that's where we're going to pull out of for this week and next week. And he says, "'Pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh, now unto him that is able to keep you from falling.'" Now who in the world would that be? Who could keep us from falling? "'And to to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy.'" to the only wise God, our Savior, so we know he's talking about Jesus, because that's the only one that can keep us from falling, to him be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. And going back to verse 22, and some having compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray, pray as we look at this, this this evening, Lord God, I pray that you would help us to, to grasp it and to learn from it and to take it back and to meditate on it and then to take it and apply it to those around us, Lord God. I pray that you would help us, Lord, Lord, to just understand what you would have for us this evening. Lord, help me as I speak. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> so what I want you to notice is so God is is, God is showing this mercy on those around us, right? There are so many dark and wicked things around us. And Jude is giving us, notice he says, and some have compassion making a difference. And if you just stop there, you might not quite understand... Okay, so have some compassion on those around us. Okay, well, all right, you know, I'll hold the door for that person when they walk by, or maybe somebody needs a meal, I'll give that to them, I'll show them some compassion, or, or you know, maybe somebody's, you know, skinned their knee, I'll, I'll help them out and give them a little bit. That's not really what this is talking about. If you look and go on to verse 23, it says, and others save with fear. Okay, well, so some were supposed to save with fear, And that's what we're going to talk about next week is saving some with fear. But what I want to talk about this week is saving those with compassion. And if you stop and think about it, you know, and and I'll use pastor as an example. You know, pastor in his testimony, he says that he got saved not so much because he knew God loved him or because he knew about heaven. He got saved because he was afraid to go to hell. He was, he was afraid of eternal damnation. And so he got saved because of the fear. But not everybody's motivated by the fear. There's some people that get saved because they see the love of God. They see the lighthouse. They see the love that he bestows upon them. And where, does, where, do, where do those around us witness the love of God? Through us. Through us. How do they see the love of God? through us so my first point is is i want to talk about god's love because if we don't know god's love because how can you share what you don't know how can you share what you've not experienced and i know if you're saved tonight you've experienced the love of god but i think sometimes we forget all of the things that god has done for us all of the ways that he's demonstrated his love for us tonight. And so, the, the first point is I just want to take time to review the love that God has bestowed upon us. And the first place I want to start is the fact that, you know, God loved us so much that He created a plan of salvation before He even created the world. Stop and think about that for a minute. God loved you so much, He thought about you. And he thought about the fact that you were going to have to die and go to hell and pay for your sins. And he didn't want that to happen. So he stopped before he created the world, before he created you. And he said, okay, I need to create a plan to save you. And God says, I love you that much that I'm going to take my time to develop a plan. And we know 2 Timothy 1.9 says, Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was giving us in Christ Jesus notice before the world began. Titus 1-2, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. 1 Peter one 18 through 20 For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by traditions from your Father, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot, Notice, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, so that blood being shed was ordained before God created the foundations of the world. And why did God have to come? Why did his blood have to be shed? It was to redeem us. It was to pay for our sins. He loved us so much that he was willing to create this plan. I was, I was trying to think about it, you know, an analogy of how do we understand this love that God has for us. Have you ever known a young couple that doesn't have kids and they start putting a nursery together because they have the hope of children someday and they take time and maybe they take a den or maybe they take a spare bedroom and they take and they clean it out and they paint the walls and they decorate it all up and they're torn because they don't know whether they're going to have a boy or a girl so they kind of make it half and half or whatever and they get the baby bed and they get everything ready they've got prepared for a child that, they're not, that they don't even have yet. They're preparing for it. Why? Because they love that child so much that they, ha, they don't even have the child yet. But they know they're going to love it. They know they want it. That was what God was doing for us before he created the world. He put that plan together. He put that because he loved us so much that he wanted to prepare for us because he knew what we were going to need before we even existed. And that's the love that God shows us to us. The next thing that we see is we think, stop and think about John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not die, but have everlasting life. God the Father loves us so much that he was willing to give up his only begotten son for you. Stop and think about it, you that are parents. Would you take your child and sacrifice your child for somebody else? I would say most cases not. And would you sacrifice your child for a whole church? I would say most people would say not. But that's what God the Father did for us. That's how much he loved us, that God the Father was willing to give his only begotten son up for you. He was willing to sacrifice it. He was willing... Stop and think about it. When Jesus died on the cross, he said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Stop and think about it. The three-part being of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. At that moment in time when Jesus died on the cross, when he gave up his life, God the Son was separated from God the Father for the first time in all of eternity past. And for the, when he was reunited with him, when he rose from the grave... He's with him forever of eternity forward. But for that one moment in time, he allowed himself to be separated from the Father for you and for me. And we don't know what that really meant for God because we don't really totally, un- we, we, not really, we don't understand God at all. But what was that like for God to be willing to give up himself for us? That's love. I mean, you stop and think about um, the fact that, so that's the third point is that the fact that God, the second point was, God the Father gave up His Son. But the thing is, God the Son gave up His life for you. Because if you stop and think about it, if you look at all the scriptures about when Jesus was here on Earth and he was talking about God the Father, what did He say? "Not my will, but thine be done." right? If we look in the scriptures, and I would encourage you to flip over to John, we're going to be in John for a little while. Um, we're going to take a lot, of, a lot of different things out of John. John 14, verse 17 and 18. Jesus is speaking, and he says, um, I think I'm in the wrong, John 10. I, said, I don't know if I said John 10 or 14. John 10, John 10, 17 and 18. He says, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. This commandment I have received of my Father. You know, no man took Jesus' life on the cross. When he was on the cross and he said it is finished, it was because he said the work that I came here to do is now done. My blood's been shed. I'm giving up my life for you. No man taketh it. I give it. He freely gave himself for you and me. You know, it's like a minute ago I asked, you know, would you be willing to give up your son or your daughter to save another? Well, the analogy here is, would you be willing to give up yourself for another? Now, I would say a parent might be willing to give up their life for their child. I could see that. That's a strong love. But here God is, willing to give up himself on the cross for you and I, just some wicked sinner that we fail him daily, but yet he was still willing to give up his life for us. That's how much he loved us. He loved us so much. Now, we've seen he created a plan of salvation. The Heavenly Father sent his son to die for us. The son was willing to die and gave up his life for us. But then the Holy Spirit, or Jesus, went back to heaven And he left us alone, desolate, and to be just floundering our own, right? No. Who did he leave? He says in John 14, 16, if you want to flip over there if you're in John, 14, 16 says, And I pray the Father, and he shall give you another Comforter, that he may abide with you forever. John 15, 26 says, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. And John sixteen seven says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. See, he loved us so much that he knew when he was going back to heaven that we needed something. We needed somebody. We needed somebody to take care of us. We needed somebody to comfort us when we're in sorrow. We needed somebody to teach us. And he sent the Holy Spirit to be with us, to live within us, to guide us, to direct us. Because he loved us so much, he didn't want to leave us alone. He sent the Holy Spirit to be with us until he comes back to take us home to be with him or until we go to be with him. So God loved us so much that he sent the Spirit to be with us. And you know, when he went up there, you know, God loves us so much that Jesus up in heaven, we know that the Bible says that he's at the right hand of the Father. But you know he's working on something up there? He's building something? He's making a place for you. You're probably in John still. If you look over at John, um, uh, well, John fourteen three. If you look at John fourteen three, he says, um, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am ye may be also. John, or Jesus says, Hey, guess what? I'm going away. I sent the Holy Spirit to be with you, to comfort you, to keep you, because I won't be here, so I don't want to leave you alone. But he says, While I'm gone, I'm going to go prepare a mansion for you. Now, I know a lot of people um, say, Well, I want my own mansion in heaven. Well, I don't see that where we're going to get our own mansion. We might. I don't know. It doesn't clearly say. But it does clearly say that he's preparing a place for us. And he does say in the verse prior that in my father's house are many mansions. So we do know there are many mansions and we do know we have a place. I just don't know if we get our own mansion. We'll find out when we get there. But I wanted to take a minute and show you in Revelations. In fact, I jumped first there. So verse 2 says, in my father's house were many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, and I go to prepare a place for you. So he says, I'm going to prepare a mansion, and I'm going to prepare a place for you in those mansions, and maybe you get your own, and maybe you get a room. I don't know, but it's kind of like David when he said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper with my father, with Jesus, than in a mansion by myself. I didn't quote that exactly right, but he says, I'd much rather be with God. We have a place, and I want you to notice in Revelation's what god's preparing for us it's it's amazing when we stop and think about the description of it so john 21 the first thing i want you to notice is verse 20 chapter 21 verse 1 uh, john writes and he says i see a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea and i like somebody had and i and i always never really understood this because it's like okay well what's this about no more sea well if you stop and think about john the Revelator, John the Apostle, John that was stranded on the Isle of Patmos, he was stranded by himself. He was separated on an island by the sea from those that he loved. And when you stop and think about there's no more sea, what he's really saying is there's no more separation from the loved ones. There's no barrier between me and the ones that I love. There's no more barrier between me and the Savior that I love. There's no more barrier between me and those, my family and those other apostles and the other disciples. That barrier's gone. And when we get to heaven, that barrier's going to be gone. The Bible says we're going to be with him forever. And then if you look in, in chapter 4, or verse 4 of chapter 21, it says, And God shall wipe away tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And man, doesn't that sound so awesome, a place where there's no more pain? and sorrow, and suffering. I know, you know, it's been said, you know, um, getting old's not for the meek, the weak. The, 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 you know, it's the older you get, the more pains you get. But you know what? When we get to heaven, those pains are going to be gone. That sorrow is going to be gone. That crying's going to be gone. God's going to wipe that all away. And if you look at chapter um, 21, verse 10, and notice he says and he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city the holy jerusalem descending out of heaven from god having the glory of god and her light was like a stone most precious even a jasper stone clear and crystal and had a wall great and high and had 12 gates and the gates 12 angels and the names written there are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of israel and on the 3 on the east gate east three gates and on the north three gates on the south three gates on the west three gates and on the wall of the city had twelve foundations and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the lamb and he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof and the city lieth four square and the length is as large as the breadth and he measured the city with the reed twelve thousands furlong and the length and the breadth of the height of it are equal and he measured the wall thereof a hundred and forty and four cubits according to the measure of a man, that is, of the angel. And the building of the wall is of pure jasper, and the city was pure gold like in the clear glass, and the foundation of the walls of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stone. And the first foundation was jasper, and the second sapphire, and the third chancelous, and the fourth emerald, and the fifth sardance, and the sixth sardis, and the seventh chrysolite, and the eighth beryl, and the ninth a topaz, and the tenth a chrysanthemum, and the eleventh of Jocelyn, and the twelfth an Amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, and every several gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city was pure gold, as it were transparent glass. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God mighty and the Lamb were the temple therein. And the city had no need of the sun, neither the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of the God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night therein. I mean, stop and think about it. The gates are going to be open by day, and there's no night. They're always going to be open because there's no more night. Because we have the Lord to shed His light and to be that light. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations unto it, and therein shall no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie but they that are written in the Lamb's book of life. Imagine, only saved people get to go into the city. Only saved people are going to enter in. The Bible says the nations are going to bring, the glory, are going to bring their honor. But I want you to notice, reading on, it says, "...and he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst in the stream of it and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bear twelve manner of fruit." and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants, they shall serve him. Imagine, God is preparing this place for us to be with him forever. This holy city Jerusalem that John saw coming down to the new heaven and the new earth, because you know the Bible says that the old heavens and the whole old earth are going to be destroyed by fire. And we're going to get a new heaven and a new earth with this new Jerusalem. And God's preparing this for us right now as we speak. And God loves us so much that he's preparing this place. And if you go back to John 14, he says, And I go and prepare a place for you, and I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am ye may be also. You know, God loves us so much that he's going to come back and take us back to be with him forever. And so we see all this love of God, and you know, as Christians, and I'm sure that most of these things weren't a surprise to you, but I thought just taking time to go back and remember all the many things that God has done for us to show us His love, and then you go back, and we go back to our passage in Titus, and it tells us having compassion on some to save them, right? I mean, you stop and think about it. It says, and others save with fear, so the others can be saved with compassion. And we talked about the fact that it's God's love, but it's us showing the compassion upon them, showing them that love that God showed to us, we're supposed to show it upon others. And just for a time's sake, my next point is, is an example of, of sharing God's love, and we're not going to turn there um, I was planned on it, John chapter 4. We got the, if you remember the story of the woman at the well, remember the Bible says that, that Jesus must needs go through Samaria. And remember he was traveling through Samaria, and you remember Samaritans are those, they're those half-breeds. They're those, those, those Israelites that married the, um, the, the women of the area. And so they, they, weren't, they didn't follow what God said, and God said you're not supposed to marry outside the Jewish religion. And so the Samaritans were mixed with the, lo- the, the, the nations of the area with, with the Israelites. And so then the ones from the south and the ones from the way north, they despised the Samaritans because of the fact that they weren't just Jewish. But yet God chose to go there. Jesus chose to go there, and he came to this well, and he sits down, and the disciples go on into the city to, to buy food and get provisions and Jesus is sitting there, and this woman comes out at an hour when it's not normal for women to come out, and she comes out to draw water, and she asks Jesus, and Jesus says, will you give me a drink? And she goes, do you know who I am? I'm a Samaritan. You're a Jew. Why are you asking me? And she says, or he says, if you knew who asked you water, you would ask of him drink. And he goes on to talk about the fact, and he witnesses to her, and and says they, they have this whole dialogue. And long story short, he says she says about the Savior coming, and he says, I'm the Savior. And she believed him. And the Bible says she left her water pot, and she went into the city. And what did she go in the city for? To tell those what she had saw. See, Jesus asked her about her husband, and she says, I have no husband. And Jesus said, you're right. You've had five husbands, and the one that you're with isn't your husband. And she had said this, that we know that the Messiah, when he comes, is going to know all things. And she realized that Jesus was the one that knew all things and that he was the Messiah. And so she went into town and said, hey, I've met a man that's the Messiah. He's the one that knows all things. He knew about me and I didn't tell him a thing. And so the Bible says that some believed because of her saying. Some believed because she took what? she had just experienced with Jesus and the love that he had showed to her and she went into the city and she showed compassion upon those around because she stopped think about it she could have just rejoiced in the fact that she was saved and went home and told her husband but no she had compassion on those around her and she showed them the love of Christ and the Bible says that some believed because of her word and others didn't necessarily believe but they were intrigued and the Bible says that they went out and talked with Jesus, and then when they got the chance to talk to Jesus, they believed as well. And the thing of it is, is if you stop and think about it, didn't she just practice this, saving some with compassion? Didn't she have compassion upon those and show those the love, show them love, show them the, the truth that she had learned, showed them the, the, what this one out in, the, out in the well had showed her? Isn't that not what Jude is telling us we're supposed to do, that we're supposed to show compassion? And the thing of it is, as you stop and think about it. You know, is, is everybody that we talk to going to believe? No. Did everybody in that town believe? No. But some believed because of her testimony. And some went and sought more. They wanted to see it for themselves. They wanted to experience it themselves. And then they believed. And I'm sure there were others that went out and said, no, nah, no, nah, we, we don't believe. It, it was a trick. Somehow he knew ahead of time, and, you know, it's just another, just another false prophet. We don't believe. But some did because of her. Some did. And the thing of it is, going back to, if you stop and think about it, God's mercy, going back to mercy, God's mercy is upon all of those around us. God is giving them an opportunity to receive Him, to believe in Him. And how are they going to hear? How are they going to see unless we that know God's love are going to share it with them? Right? John 20, 21 says, then Jesus said to them, Peace be unto you, as my, my Father hath sent me, even so I send you. John, 1 John 4:19 says, We love him because he first loved us. God sent us. You know, there's like five places in the Bible where he gives the great commission to his disciples to go and to teach and to baptize and to teach and to show and to teach what? To teach about him. And how do we teach? Some are going to believe because of the compassion that you show to them. Some are going to believe because of the love that you show. You know, it's been said that people don't care what you know until they know that you care. And so until you show them that you love them, some people just don't care what you have to say. But you've got to show the love. You've got to show the compassion. And the thing of it is, is there's going to be times where you're going to show love and compassion and, and they're not going to believe anyhow. But there's some that might. There's some that do, right? What are you doing to show God's love to those around you? There's a story, and I'm sure a lot of you have heard this before. It's called the Starfish Story. And best I can tell, it, it was original by Lauren Isley. And it goes like this, one day a man was walking along the beach when he noticed a boy picking something up and gently throwing it back into the ocean. Approaching the boy, he asked, what are you doing? And the boy replied, throwing this starfish back into the ocean. The surf is up and the tide is going out, and if you don't throw them back, they'll die. Son, the man said, if you don't, if you real, excuse me, don't you realize there are miles and miles of beach and hundreds of starfish? You can't make a difference after listening politely, the boy bent down, picked up another starfish, threw it back into the surf, and then smiling to man, he said, it made a difference to that one. You know, you stop and think about it. We're supposed to be like Jesus. And I know in, in the world that we live in, and you stop and look at all the wickedness that's going on, and all the darkness, and you know, when we go out soul winning, you know, there are so many people that are so rude and agnostic to the scriptures and they don't want to hear and they you know sometimes they're politely rude and sometimes they're just rude rude and most of the time you don't meet somebody that really wants to listen anyhow but does that mean we give up you know at work there's a group of people that make fun of you that, that, that you know whatever but yet there's that one that you might be able to make a difference with there's that one that maybe there's a situation that they're going through a hard time in their life and they remember that there's something different about you because even when all those other people were making fun of you, you still showed them the love and compassion that God's shown it to you. And so when they get to that hard time because of your love that you showed to them, they come to you and talk to you and want to know what's different. They want to know why and then you get the opportunity to show them God's love and you get an opportunity to lead them to the Christ, and you get an opportunity to make a difference in their life because you were just being like Christ. You know, stop and think about when Jesus was here on earth. Did everybody just run up and accept him? No, right? Remember the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Remember the ones that said, crucify him, crucify him? Release Barabbas, the wicked one? Jesus wasn't... Accepted by everybody. He was, he was doing miracles. I mean, he was healing, making the blind see. He's making the lame walk. Expelling demons and devils. Healing the palsy. Showing love and compassion on all. Why would people not accept him? Because of their wicked heart. If they wouldn't accept him then not everybody's going to accept us. But you know what? Some did. Some will. There's certain people that only you can reach. I can't reach them. Pastor can't reach them. Brother Brian can't reach them. Only you can. You have the influence. You have their ear. You have the ability to show them the love. You have the ability to show them the compassion. Are you doing that? Are you making the effort? Are you you trying to save some with compassion? We need to show compassion and love, grace and mercy, kindness and friendship, love and compassion. We need to show it. We need to be the witness for Christ. Jude's telling us, build up yourself in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy. Why? So that you can have compassion upon some. And next week, we're going to look at saving others with fear. Because, again, not everybody's going to be reached with compassion. Some people have to see the fear of God. And so next week, we're going to look at the fear of God and why we should fear God. Because we all should have fear of God and fear of His wrath because He is a just God and He is holy. And so next week, we're going to look at the, the, the other side of it and learn about the fear of God. Because there's times where when you're witnessing that person... They aren't going to see the love. They don't care about the love. But you start talking to them about hell and fire and brimstone and what they deserve and why they deserve it, they may listen to that. And then unfortunately, there's going to be some that don't want to hear either message. And we just have to pray to God that he would show them mercy. And someday his mercy will end, whether it's because of their physical death, whether it's because of the rapture of the church, But someday, His mercy is done. We lost last week. Talked about last week. But until then, we have the opportunity to be a witness for Him. And I encourage you all to stop and think about, am I demonstrating the love that God has shown to me to those around me? Think about it. Do people around you see God's love in you? Do they see that there's a difference? Do they see that influence of god in your life if somebody showed up at your work and accused you be a christian is there enough evidence there to convict you stop and think about that stop and think about that let's pray heavenly father lord i thank you so much for your word lord jesus i'm so thankful that you loved us so much that you created a plan of salvation before you created the world that the heavenly father was willing to give up his only begotten son for us that the Son was willing to give of His life on the cross for us, that You were willing to send the Holy Spirit to be with us, to guide us, to comfort us, that You went back to prepare a place for us and the promise that You'll one day come for us. And Lord, we're so thankful that You loved us first and that we can love You because You loved us first. I pray, Lord, as we live our daily life, as we look at those around us and we see Your mercy day by day, the mercy in our own lives, the mercy in those around us, that you would help us to show your love towards those. Help us to be a faithful witness for you. Lord, I ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.